Hi, my name is Michael Warren. I'd like to give you some background on one of my best friends. I call him my brother from another mother. Your host, Jed Hughes. Jed climbed up the football coaching ranks working for and alongside seven Hall of Fame coaches, including Chuck Knoll, Bud Grant, Tony Dungy, and Bo Schimbeckler, just to name a few. Now, I met Jed at my alma mater, UCLA, where I was an All-American basketball player and two-time captain for a couple of Coach John Wooden's championship teams. While Jed was a great defensive coordinator at UCLA recruiting a historic class, I was a cast member on the Emmy Honor television series, Hill Street Blues. Jed somehow creatively involved me in his recruiting pitch, and that turned out to be a lot of fun. After a great stint at UCLA, Jed worked in the NFL for the Minnesota Vikings, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cleveland Browns. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Jed holds a master's degree from the University of Stanford and a PhD from the University of Michigan and has led the sports consulting practice for two global executive search firms. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri, and four of the five power conference commissioners, along with many athletic directors and C-suite executives across the industry. I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes podcast. Through this podcast series, Jed will dive into what makes leaders, coaches, and executives great, and what separates the Hall of Famers from the rest. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Welcome to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the Jed Hughes Podcast. On this first episode, I will be speaking with one of my former ball boys, former first-round NFL draft pick from the University of Michigan, 2011 NFL Coach of the Year of the San Francisco 49ers, an inspiring social activist, and not to mention the current head football coach at the University of Michigan, Coach Jim Harbaugh. All right. Hi, friends. Jim. <laughs> who, who could have predicted this pandemic we're in? How have you and Sarah and your family dealt with this personally here over the last three months? Personally, as a family, we have dealt with it as uh, just doing what we are told to do. Um, taking the coaching from the experts and and then also really saw the opportunity of the family time that we were that we were having the memories that we were making and thinking that this is something that we'll long remember with our with our kids and and you know what can we do that uh, to make memories um, may never have that chance again um, also the with the team and um, trying to be 
creative as we could, try to be as productive as we possibly could, uh, try to get, you know, the guys, the, the workout stimulus, the, the school stimulus. Um, so learned a lot about Zoom and um, uh, just try to get the, the same, the workout and the school that the guys needed, but also uh, do it as safely as possible. And um, then learned that we were all living in segments. You know, we were living life in segments. Uh, two weeks, pretty much on a two-week uh, two-week basis. Uh, this is the information we have now. This is, uh, and then we'll readdress it every every two weeks. And we've been doing that now for about for about three months. And I can say that um, it's been very productive. We had a, as far as school went. Uh, our players had their best semester uh, since I've been a coach here at Michigan. Uh, the amount of guys that were above a 3-0 uh, was out of our entire team was nearly 90. Uh, you know, had a semester of, of over 3-0, and and also just the, the highest cumulative we've ever had. Their cumulative GPAs uh, in the uh, 70s, mid 70s, guys on our team now have a cumulative grade point of over 3.0. And then a lot of fun stuff with the uh, with the family and the kids. Um, probably the biggest highlight was we got chickens, Jed. We got uh, my, my dog wanted chickens. We uh, uh, built a chicken coop, and uh, we've we've raised chickens since Easter Sunday, and they're about another, still about a month or two away from laying eggs, but that's that's been a real highlight. Um, then when things uh, um, stay at home, stay safe order, you know, started lifting, you could you could really leave your house. We uh, took a couple RV trips, went to uh, Kansas City once and went to Baltimore once. Um, so that was a lot of fun staying in, uh, in the RV parks. I can see why a lot of people like that. That was... Uh, some good times. So we got some amazing, uh, you know, good stories from from out on the road, and that was a, that was also a good way to, you know, to change the scenery, but also you know, be really safe too with the with the social distancing. So um, you're always a lot, a lot of other cool stuff too. You know, we're <laughs> a lot of fun stuff. You imagine uh, fifty years will be uh, in the. Twenty-three. When your dad first started at Michigan, and I began coaching there, and you and your brother John, who's now the head coach with the Ravens, were our ball boys. I mean, who would have ever thought that the success that you have today could trace its way all the way back to those to those hot summer days when when you and your brother were around all the time. Looking back on it, uh, definitely. I mean, my dad uh, was was the person that we saw. Uh, you know, we we admired him so much growing up, and and what he did as a coach. And, uh, also saw my mom really involved in the the teams and the and the coaching. She was a counselor. She did uh, she did tutoring for for players. Uh, student athletes, whatever my dad was coaching. So it was a, it was a real team effort at home. And we, and we saw that and saw enough that we really loved it. And uh, my brother obviously became a coach. I, I became a coach. 
My sister's married to Tom Crean, who's a coach, um, and and our, our brother-in-law, basketball coach at Georgia. Uh, so I definitely think you can, you can really trace it all back to my mom and dad that growing up, we saw a lot of, uh, you know, what we, we liked and respected and wanted to do it ourselves. So when you think about Bo, you know, I remember my first year there in 73, you know, he's, you know, obviously he, he was emotional and we're in one of those summer practices and then, and, and Dennis Franks was our center and he had done something screwed up and Bo went to drop kick him and missed. And all the coaches, everybody turned their backs, knowing that if he saw us laughing at him, he'd go nuts. But uh, do you, you have any Bo stories from your time at Michigan or when you guys were ball boys that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah. There's, uh, again, so many. You know, it's, uh, the great thing about Bo Schembechler, when you really look back at it, tremendous leader in person. The amount of right decisions he made, uh, you know, just it, nobody's perfect, right? I mean, nobody is, is perfect or 100% right on in their decision making. But um, Bo Schembechler, from all the stories that I've that I've heard from my dad and uh, having the opportunity, I, I played for Coach Schembechler for five years, and it's staggering when I go back and, and you really think about the you know, the, maybe the thousands of decisions that he, that he made along the way and uh, how many were right. And just, I don't know if it was 99% or 99.9%, uh, but he, he made a lot of tremendous decisions and uh, real gave, gave a real template. And I always thought, I mean, this is, this is just the best coach. He's the best coach and I'm playing for the best coach. And uh, through the years, we've all, you know, taking so much of the good that we saw in, in Coach Jim Beckler and just the, the way he looked at things uh, from a team aspect, from a football uh, perspective, and how to run a team, how to be on a team, how to be a member of a team. Um, so many things that way. And childhood stories with uh, Bo were, you know, thick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the ones that jump out to my mind, he, he always let the, the coach his kids come around practice so we were always allowed to come to practice watch practice and that became a, a daily thing for me I wanted to when school was over uh, it was third or fourth or fifth grade I mean I always wanted to go from school over to watch catch Michigan's practice and I mean, you guys were always there yeah we were always allowed to be there and that's you know you look back and I go yeah what a what a what a cool thing and yeah and I, I come to practice I'd watch practice and then when practice was over Bo would let the coaches uh, go home for dinner so they had about one hour between by the time when practice was over they could go home and eat dinner and then come back uh, an hour hour and a half later because the film would be finished uh, my dad was also the film coach at Michigan so it took about an hour hour and a half for them to edit the, the film good old-fashioned uh, yes 16 millimeter or eight millimeter one of the I think 16 16 yeah so it took took an hour and a half and then but that was our time with our dad that was our only time with our dad usually um, you know during the week our only time with our dad was after practice for that hour of dinner and on Saturday after 
the ball game, uh, he would he would also come home. But that's when we saw him. So if we came, if I came to practice, then I could watch practice. I could be around the the team. And then when practice was over, my dad would shower and then he'd walk out and then he'd, he'd uh, we'd drive home with my dad. So I'd walk to practice, drive home with my dad, and I had that time with him. And my brother had that time with him. And then we'd have dinner at home and then and then uh, Denny Brown or somebody would pick him up and they'd, they'd go back to the office. But, uh, you know, that, that, those memories are just I mean, unbelievable. And then times at practice when we'd be having our game on the side of the field, uh, a lot of time, the, some of the time, the ball would get onto the practice field. Coach Schimbeckler, he hated that. He hated a loose ball on the field anywhere. And right. there was three times when uh, he singled me out by name. <laughs> Our ball, get that ball off the field. I'm nine years Buddy, old. You know? <laughs> and we'd all scurry and get those kids out of here. Uh, but it was, you know, that was... That was disaster. That's as that's as bad as it could get if Coach Beckler yelled at one of us kids over there. <laughs> but uh, it was awesome. He also did it with a twinkle in his eye too, because uh, you know he loved having us, loved having us there. And uh, there was another time where it was my dad and Bo were playing handball together, and it was just the two of them were in the office and me, and I would was in the office. It was a it was like a Sunday or sometime in the off season, and um, I went into Bo's office and I was 10 and I put my, uh, I was sitting in his chair and uh, after a while, it's just, and I put my feet up on the desk and wouldn't you know it, but him and my dad walked in, walked back in from the handball game just as my feet were up on the desk. Oh. Arba, what are you doing with your feet on the desk? Get your feet off the desk. And, uh, but he had that twinkle in his eye and uh, I knew he liked me and um, then eventually, you know, getting to play for him was you know, one of the real big thrills of my my entire life, and also learned so much just as in terms of being a coach. And, and not a day goes by where I don't think like, what would Bo do in this situation? And so when you, what my dad would do. You know, fortunately, my dad lives right next door to us. To us, and uh, I've got a lot of guys around here like John Falk, uh, who still works here. Who, worked around what would Bo do what would Bo do in this situation uh so there's a that's I recall my own personal memories of that and and also guys that work with coach Schembechler uh just hey what would Bo do so um yeah it's a there's my dad and then there's and it's kind of Bo for me you know and that that kind of uh dad coach world when your dad got the defensive coordinator's job at Stanford, I can remember sitting in the stands at Palo Alto watching you play quarterback. The question I have is, how did you evolve to that position? You know, I mean, how did you decide, um, how was that decision made and why did you, why did the quarterback become your, your position? It's a great question. I, um, I just, it's the only position I ever really wanted to play. Um, though I started out as a fullback and a linebacker in little league football. Also, uh, that was age, age 10. And the best player was the quarterback, Dave Thayer, uh, tremendous, tremendous athlete. And, um, Tom Minnick 
was our coach made made Dave Thayer the quarterback. And then after about three days, Dave Dave said that he didn't want to play quarterback. The, the, he wanted to be a running back. That the quarterback you know, didn't get to carry the ball as much. And uh, so I I volunteered, and um, then they put me a quarterback, and I was I was able to uh, win the quarterback job there. And then that kind of like that was the rest. Rest is history. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a quarterback, and I finally had an opportunity to play, play it, and then then played it from then on. But I think I had ADD, Jed. Uh, <laughs> pretty darn sure. It was never really diagnosed, and and uh, um, came close one time. They uh, there was a teacher that wanted to suggest it to my mom to put me on Ritalin, and uh, they my mom refused to let them do that. But uh, looking back, I probably did. Did have a pretty good dose of that uh, ADD, and because when it came to baseball, I, I mean, I wanted to, I didn't want to really be out in the outfield. I wanted to be pitching or playing shortstop or playing catcher. I love, I like catcher too. Because oh, I, I mean, I love basketball, a lot of action. Um, I wrestled, played hockey, played soccer growing up. Um, so I just, I really love playing sports, and uh, ended up being football was what I was best at when it came time for to be recruited I, I had a, a few scholarship offers for basketball and then uh, I had like one or two for basketball and five for football five or six for football so I uh, decided to go uh, football full-time when I got to college. So once you graduate your first round draft pick you spend 14 years your comeback player of the year and at the same time, you're working with your dad, you know, at Western Kentucky, helping him win a national championship. How did you mentioned earlier on on the coaching, but how did you segue from playing as a professional athlete and then going back working with your dad? Well, I know I always knew that I would. When as as a youngster, I was I can't remember being five or six, really somewhere around there when I had my first memories of. You know things that you remember. Um, I recall telling my dad, like, or somebody asked me, might have been a grandparent or somebody, said, "What do you want to do, Jimmy, when you grow up?" And I said, "Well, I want to play football as long as I can, and then I want to coach, and then I'll die." Um, so I was always that was always like what I what I planned to do, and the opportunity um, to coach with my dad came up when uh, Western Kentucky had voted, their Board of Regents had, had voted to um, get rid of football, to end the football program at WKU. And there was, uh, you know, about a it, was a, it was a very close vote, maybe a five to four or six to five vote. And, and it didn't look like they were gonna have football. I was playing with the Bears. I drove through uh, Bowling Green to see my, my folks and uh, was in the office, really remember it well. My dad was just, he really had a dauber down. And uh, if you know my dad, it's, I mean, that's never the case. No, he's always positive, man. Always had stories. <laughs> it's a, he attacks life and he attacks each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And uh, I was like, dad, what's going on? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's January. You guys should be out recruiting and, and um, you guys should be, everybody's just kind of hanging around here. What's going on? Well, they, they're dropping football. So there's really no, no use to, to uh, 
do that. Dad, that's not like you. Come on, let's go. He goes, well, we, we, there's a hiring freeze. We, we only have four coaches. They won't let us hire any more coaches. So uh, I go, well, I'll, I'll, I'll hire me as, uh, as an unpaid assistant, and I'll hit the road. I'm, I'll go down to Florida where I happen to have a house uh, down there and um, got some uh, uh, recruiting uh, lists from my brother who was coaching in Indiana at the time. And uh, anyway, long story short, I was able to be hired as an unpaid assistant at Western Kentucky. And I was able to uh, take the recruiting test and became a, became a coach on a staff. Um, they weren't paying me, but I was, uh, I was able to recruit and coach in the off season. So that's really how my coaching career started at Western Kentucky. And I did that for seven years while I, Played the last seven years of my pro career. I would work for my dad in the off season and, and play during the play NFL during the, the season. Uh, but that was that was great. I was uh, uh, you know first first guy I ever signed uh, was Willie Taggart. That was wow. our and ended up being a record breaking quarterback at Western Kentucky and um, Coach Taggart also. Yeah. Um, was an, became a coach when he was done playing. He was a co assistant coach at Western Kentucky, and then I hired him as a the running back coach at Stanford University when I was the head coach there. And Willie went from uh, Stanford to Western Kentucky as the head coach, and also uh, South Florida, then Oregon, and now uh, Florida State, and now uh, FAU. So right. uh, he's a tremendous man. He's uh, Oh, he's like a he's like a son to my dad and a brother to me and my brother and uh, best man in his wedding and he was uh, stood up in my wedding and uh, so the the vote the original vote to drop football uh, they changed it after about a month and, uh, so that uh, they ended up keeping football at Western Kentucky they didn't drop football and. Then I coached with my dad there for for seven years. Yeah, and it really even cemented more that, yeah, this is what I want. I'm, um, I already was 100% sure I wanted to coach when I was done playing, playing football in the NFL, and now, even, <laughs> I'm still 100%. I want to be a I want to be a coach. And then when my pro career ended, I ended up uh, uh, being hired by the Oakland Raiders by Mr. Al Davis to be a quality control coach with the Raiders. And I did that for two years. Uh, great experience there, coaching in the NFL, um, doing the computer breakdowns, doing the computer drawings, uh, getting to work with the quarterbacks a little bit. Uh, met some great, great coaches there, Bill Callahan, Mark Tressman, um, Aaron Cromer, and, and uh, you know, so, so many guys. Uh, and then, uh, then I got my first head coaching job at the University of San Diego. I was there for three years. Uh, I remember that because I was at Bo's funeral and your dad, mom, and you came up and said, your dad had this big smile saying, hey, he's just accepted the job at the University of San Diego. And I remember when you and I talked about it, you had a limited amount of, you had a limited amount of money. Uh, so put the staff together. But you were right. You, you got the quarterback right. You got Josh Johnson in there. He ended up playing for a number of years in the NFL. So that putting that staff together, I mean, that required some real creativity on your staff based on uh, 
the amount of money you had to spend. Yeah, well, that's uh, we didn't have too much. It was um, it was very little actually. Uh, we, they they said I could hire a full time coach on offense and one full time coach on defense, and uh, the offensive coordinator uh, that was there the previous year and the defensive coordinator that was there the previous year, uh, great guys. Uh, they they continued as offensive and defensive coordinator and then was able to put together a, a full staff with uh, you know very little resources uh, which ended up being guys that a uh, few guys that were retired coaches and uh, you know the shining star there was Dave Adolph. Uh, Dave Adolph coached in college football for over 20 years and was an NFL coordinator and assistant coach for 24 years and uh, really became the, the person, you know, my dad, then Bo, then Dave Adolph, to me, are the, the, the coaches that I've, I've most emulated in my life. Um, you know, I, just as people that I respected and coaches that I respected, you know, those three are, uh, you know, the top three. And I learned so much from, from Dave Adolph and he became our defensive coordinator at at uh, USD, uh, it's where I got the idea to wear uh, khaki pants. Dave, oh. Dave would, Dave would wear uh, khaki pants uh, every day to practice. And most coaches that I had all, all seen, I mean, they wore sweatpants or they wore shorts. And I go, Dave, why do you, why do you wear the pants every day? You know, he goes, pockets. I put my script in the pockets. I got a place for my pens. A place for my whistle and it just made so much it just made perfect sense and so from next day I started wearing uh I started wearing pants too and sure enough you had a place for you know if you had chewing gum or pen pen or script and and uh all that so and and, and that's just one thing I mean I learned so much from from Dave Adolph how to coach really I mean how to coach learn defense uh and you know very very few people scored on us if they scored on us it would it was usually uh we're giving up less than 10 points a game with Dave as the D coordinator and um won a lot of games there and you mentioned Josh Johnson I mean that was that was the other piece um Josh had no scholarships offered to him coming out of high school and he uh I saw him on tape and he he was very thin he he was a late bloomer, it's about 5'10", 145 pounds going into his junior year. And then when he was going into his senior year, he was about six, eh, maybe 5'11", six foot. Um, and about 160, 158 pounds. I remember looking at the tape and you could see his knee pad and you could see his shoe, but the, the ankles and the calves were very skinny. They didn't even show up on the tape. Then I, uh, I went and saw Josh play basketball, and he was a, he was a very good basketball player. And um, he was uh, one of his uh, teammates and friends was uh, Marshawn Lynch. Um, but long story short, uh, uh, Josh came to, to USD, and I'll never forget our, our trip down there. Uh, I think I've told this story too much, but um, – 
St. Mary's was a football program that had dropped football in, uh, in the Bay Area. And I went up there with a U-Haul and got a lot of their stuff. Uh, people were trying to get their players. I was trying to get their equipment. Um, we got helmets. We got uh, goalposts. Uh, got uh, knee pads, jerseys, pants, practice uh, equipment, shoes. And I was bringing it back in the U-Haul. And, and Josh didn't have a way to get from Oakland down to, to uh, USD to, to start fall camp. So uh, I said, well, I'll be, I'll be coming by at this time. You know, so he jumped in the U-Haul and we, we drove all, all that equipment back down to USD and he helped me unload it. And that was, uh, and then the, they were just, just great friends to this day. As you mentioned, he's had a ter terrific pro career. So his last, Last year would have been 2007, and even last year, um, you know, he still he started a game in the NFL and won that game. So he's been he's been in the NFL a long time now, uh, 11, 11, 10, 11, 12 years. Still on list. He'll probably show up on a on a team this year. But his uh, his last year, his junior year, last year I was there, and then I went to Stanford the next year. He threw 42 touchdowns, Jed, and had one interception. Jeez. Crazy amount of yards throwing and, and rushing, but I I think that is unless Joe Burrow broke that record, I think it's the most efficient year quarterbacks ever had in uh, college football. So that was a uh, that was a real real blessing to uh, cross paths with Josh Johnson. What a guy could light up could light up the room with his energy and his uh, his enthusiasm. For life and the game, and it was infectious. Yeah, I saw, I really saw a way, way players can, uh, you know, the mindset and the resiliency and the, and just in the enthusiasm. How, how about this? I mean, just being in a good mood, just, just uh, a good mood of every day. Uh, you know, just how, how infectious and positive that is. And that's, um, that was Josh Johnson, and it is Josh Johnson. I think he'll be a tremendous coach himself. I, I keep trying to talk him into coaching, but he's, he's still playing right now. Huh. So you mentioned Stanford and Bob Bowlesby bringing in, and the, the culture, as I remember us talking, wasn't very good in terms of what you had to do. And then you're fortunate enough to uh, recruit Andrew Luck. So talk a little bit about what you had to do at Stanford and how you found Luck and how that all turned out to ended up winning an orange bowl. I guess I'm uh, guess a little bit of a charmed life, huh? Um, somewhat like Forrest Gump. The uh, you burned to Stanford and yeah, I mean, a bunch of great guys there, uh, great players, uh, so many. Uh, and those are signature years for me going to Stanford. Uh, Having children born right there uh, while we lived there, three, three total children while we lived there in the Bay Area. Bay Area. So, um, but yeah, definitely uh, Andrew Luck. They're uh, you know once a once in a generation type player, and I could see it from the first day that he was on the practice field. Uh, again, I mean, a tremendous, uh, tremendous leader in a in a uh, in, as a person and as a football player, and 
really talented and um, the kind of person that here's a, I mean, his leadership style was, was uh, that he would build others up around him and kind of push himself down and make others around him, you know, big, uh, always, always giving them the credit, always, always trying to bring along somebody else in a, in a real positive way. Um, from the first time I had him in a, in a football camp as a high school senior, he's going into his senior year and there's 20 quarterbacks that I'm out there working with. And, and I'd say, Andrew, come up here and demonstrate this. Here's the next drill. I want you, I want you to do it. So he, and he, and he did it first in line and, and he, he went through it and then, okay, next drill we're going to do. Andrew, why don't you come up here and demonstrate uh, what we're um, Coach, uh, we've, we've been talking back here as quarterbacks and uh, we've come up with a rotation to where, uh, you know, others will be first as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's just a real, you know, it's just a real style there of, of leadership that I, you know, thought was, was great. And, uh, you know, from, from, from that day on, I really, really tried to you know, incorporate that into my, my style as well, because, uh, you know, as, as he would put him, you know, lower himself, and build others up around him. It was uh, it was infectious. It was it was tremendous. And uh, you know the rest is history. When you talk about Andrew Luck, I mean, you know, he was a, had a great great college career and and great quarter uh, pro career. And you know, st still consider him you know one of those you know quarterbacks uh, comes along every every generation or so. You win the Orange Bowl. Now you got to make a decision. Do I stay Steve Ross, Michigan, stay in the Bay Area, stay at Stanford? You decide to go to the 49ers, and the 49ers aren't in very good shape when you get there. Yeah, the, uh, that was a tough decision. I really loved uh, the team we had built at Stanford, and uh, I was really, really torn about which – well, which direction to go and do I stay here or do I you know, take a shot at being a pro coach just to see if I could, you know, if I had that in me and at the age I was, I wanted to, I wanted to end up trying it. You know, the honest truth is I was watching this HBO special and it was on Vince Lombardi and, and I watched it the first night it came out. And then I watched it again that same night. I, I couldn't sleep. I woke back up and watched it for a second time. And uh, two, three in the morning now. And, and we had to practice the next day. And just I was just enthralled with watching Vince Lombardi and this, this special about him and, and him as a coach and his life. Uh, um, that even so, the next day of practice, I was out there and I was uh, I'm coaching the guys and I'm. I just kind of, I kind of slipped into this Vince Lombardi. It's like, get your knees up. What the hell's going on around here? Nobody's tagging. We're just grab, grab, grab. And um, all these things that I'd watched in this video. And then Andrew Luck, true story, pulls me aside and he says, Coach, um, we all watched the Vince Lombardi special last night. And, and we, we know that you're acting like Vince Lombardi right now. Uh, I go, wait a second, Andrew. I mean, 
how'd you guys watch that special? You guys are in the dorms. You don't get HBO in the dorms. And uh, he said, Coach, you moved us into the hotel for bowl preparation, and, and we have cable TV there. <laughs> That's great. I go, okay, okay, Andrew, I'll, <laughs> I'll go back to being myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but really, that was, you know, it was that, that, uh, Watching Vince Lombardi, that really, you know, hit the tip the scales. I'm going, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go be a pro coach. So I went to, so I decided after the Orange Bowl to take take that job at the 49ers, and those are, those are signature years. The, uh, uh, just amount of amount of great guys and and uh, the players, the coaches, uh, you know, the the football, the uh, the competition, the, the everything about it was. Uh, um, was just signature, signature years, great memories. Frank Gore, I mean, I could, I could, we could talk now for, for hours. Uh, you know, just the love I have for Frank and the appreciation for him and, um, and Justin Smith and Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick and uh, uh, just so many guys, Patrick Willis and, and Bowman and Vernon Davis. Uh, Crabtree and got to got to be around Randy Moss for one year and uh, what a great guy and uh, so much respect for about every guy that came through there. Bubba Ventrone, who's now coaching at the the Colts as a special teams coordinator. I, I could go on, Jim, but that that uh, and and the coaches were great. Big Fangio and Greg Roman and Brad Seeley. I learned so much football from Brad. Uh, you know, just, just great, uh, great experiences. Mike Solari, probably, uh, you know, the best offensive line coach uh, and, and coach period that, I, that I've ever been around. And guys like Tom Rathman and uh, Tom Gamble, uh, great guy as well. Just, just so many, uh, it was, uh, uh, just got really close with, with a lot of guys there, you know, and, uh, uh and we won, and we had, uh, we had great he, success, and coach we, of the year we had a lot of fun doing it. One pass dropped from winning the Super Bowl against your brother. Yeah, and then uh, you know, then there's that. Then we that happened to our family. That uh, the only two brothers have ever coached against each other in the NFL, um, and and also coached against each other in the Super Bowl, and that was. Uh, it was, it was tough to come that close, you know, to come that close to, to winning the Super Bowl and then to not. Um, but uh, tough for our guys, tough for our team, you know, that, that everybody had worked so hard and you loved so much and they just laid it on the line all the time. Um, but also that's my brother. I love my brother and I'm proud of my brother and, and happy for him. And uh, But what are the odds? What is, it's like, it's like, Two brothers both being struck by lightning to have to be able to you know, have that opportunity. No doubt. But you also had to make a really critical decision though that you know you had Alex Smith and then you had to decide to bench him and, and move Colin in. How, how did that come about? That had that hadn't hadn't been easy, I don't think, to have to make that that choice. Yeah, well it wasn't it wasn't so much my choice um, to play Colin because um, Alex Alex in 2011 led us to the uh, NFC Championship game, and we lost in overtime to the Giants uh, in that championship game. 
then the, the following year, uh, Alex had us to a six and two record, um, you know, at the halfway point. But in that in that eighth game, he got a concussion, and uh, so he he, re- he couldn't pray. He didn't practice the the next week, and and really all the way to to Saturday night, you know, was Alex going to be back or not? And then he he didn't uh, wasn't able to get back for the next game, and. Uh, the next game, Sunday, and then Sunday, we made the decision that, you know, he just he couldn't go medically, couldn't play because he had a concussion the previous week. So we're playing Monday night. Uh, I think it was a Monday night game, Monday night or a Sunday night game in Candlestick. Um, and Collins, the starter, making his first start against the Chicago Bears. And he had a, he had a huge game, huge game. Uh, I think it was something like 30, 38 to – to seven or 38 to 13 or so that we won that game. He had a big, big night throwing and a big night uh, uh, running. He couldn't, uh, you know, it was just flawless game. So that then the next week, that was a big decision. Who to, who to, who to play the next week um, to start Colin or to start uh, Alex. And that was a, that was a gut gut wrencher, but felt like, um, and that was my decision to make, and it was going to, you know, the, the one that was thinking about it and studying it the most and really came down to uh, go with Colin and, um, and got to go with the hot hand and, and, uh, and, and see, where this, see where this goes. And Colin led us all the way to the Super Bowl. That yeah, year. absolutely. And, uh, but, it, but it was tough. I mean, Alex is uh, – Alex, a great player. Collins, you know, showed that he had had a, had this great game under his belt, and uh, it was. I really looked at it like, wow, this is what a. I mean, you're, you're Forrest Gump again to be in this this kind of position to have two great quarterbacks, and that's that's the decision that you have to make between two really great players, and uh, so felt felt fortunate more than I go this. There'd be worse problems to have. Of I'm deciding to get between two great players. Uh, sometimes you have to decide, you know, against, you know, a lot worse situations than that, huh? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But then the alignment somehow falters in your organization, right? I mean, you have this success, then something comes off kilter, and it's not, you know, I mean, all in the work I've done, you know, the head coach the general manager, the ownership, they all need to be working together. And, and somehow that thing seemed towards the end not to be where it needed to be. And, you know, the opportunity presented itself. Uh, and Jim Hackett and I reached out to you to come back to Michigan. But I don't know if you want to talk about how things get misaligned and how you have to keep things together and how people have to work together in order to keep success moving. Because you know, achieving success and repeating success, you know, sometimes isn't necessarily that easy. Yeah, uh, I think you know, probably if you, you know, I know I have, I know learned uh, a lot of, lot of uh, lessons from it. And um, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the others involved, everybody there, you know, probably did. I think the, when you really look back on it, um, we we had one of those years. We just had one of those years in 2014 where 
you know, lot, everybody, a lot of a lot of the players were getting hurt. You know, we just had had one of those unlucky type of type of years. And managed uh, managed to go uh, eight and eight, and um, but you know, I was, you know, the expectations at the beginning of the season were, uh, you know, there was you know kind of one of those Super Bowl or bust kind of things, and uh, I think probably, uh, you know, that's not the, you know, that's not the, the best way to go. I mean, the best way to go is win the next game. You know, that's that should always. It should always be the goal. Um, but uh, finger pointing uh, ensued, and then uh, you know that's that's not the best way to go either. I mean, it's 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 team, and it's we're all in this together, and uh, and we find a way. So um, yeah, I think um, I think that that uh, you know really were some of the lessons learned there. Well, then the opportunity comes, you know, and, and Jim Hackett's leading the charge uh, with trying to get you back to the alma mater. And I can't remember a press conference that had so much excitement around it as the one that you had when you were introduced as a head coach. I mean, that had to be riveting, having been, a, a, been on the sideline in your early years, playing quarterback, first round, now you're back at your alma mater. I mean, that, that had a I can't imagine what that felt like. Yeah, that's 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 even that's not easy to put into words. Um, but it uh, it was uh, thrilling, you know. It's like uh, you know, Forrest Gump again. You know, you just gosh, this is this is uh, this is something. This is this is amazing. And uh, I walk by that Bo Schembechler statue every day. And, uh, you know, the memories are thick, you know, when you walk around campus and, and you're just here. So it, you know, it's really become uh, you know, just you pour your heart and soul into it again and, and just lucky to have the, the opportunity and be associated with, with uh, Michigan. I mean, it's the, the winningest program of all time. I, I don't think any football team's ever won more games. Uh, I know for sure in college. That no team has, no one's won more, and uh, it's a it's a place of integrity, and uh, and 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 uh, you know good just you know, good values, um, and uh, know those are uh, those are in very very high standards. That uh, you know it's just where else would you want to be? And uh, that's always always approached it and, and felt you know and. Uh, and just try to do the the very best job that you can. It's it's personal, you know. It's like this is where I grew up. This is where I played played. This is where I went to college. This is where I graduated from. And and uh, you know, want to do the the absolute very best job possible. One of the things that really impressed me about you and I getting to know each other was you early in your career you had lost a really tough game to Michigan State. They blocked the punt right at the end of the game. And that next week. You're down at IMG recruiting. You know, you, there's a, a defensive lineman from Paramus Catholic that you're interested in. And most coaches, 99.9% of head coaches, when they come to a, a stadium, they avoid the fans. Here it was, you'd lost this incredibly tough game and you sat right in the middle of the fans. You took every picture, signed every autograph, and you did it with a smile. 
I mean, I was blown away by your ability to be able to just humanize yourself with all these people. It was just, it was shocking and, and, and really impressive. Yeah, there, uh, that was, that was a, a tough, tough loss, uh, you know, tough as any, uh, but they, um, I think, you know, some people started saying like, wow, well, it's heartbreaking, it's devastating, and that's, that devastating one is, is the one that I just, I just couldn't, couldn't agree with, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not devastating, it, Hemingway wrote in Old Man in the Sea, a man can be destroyed, but he cannot be defeated uh, as long as there's hope. And that always, that always, that always registered to me. Yes, a man could be, you could be annihilated, you could be, you could be killed, you could be dead, uh, but you're not defeated unless, unless you really, unless you, unless you think you're defeated. Um, so with our team and, and I just wanted them to know that let's handle this better than any team has ever handled this before. We are, we are not going to turn that one, that one uh, defeat that one loss into another loss or more losses. And I was really proud of our team. Uh, as proud of I've been of any team I've ever coached. I think we won our, our next seven out of eight games the rest of the season. It was remarkable. The, yeah. The piece, Jim, in terms of you as a coach, and the intellectual piece is you're always reaching out and, and pushing the edge. I mean, you take your team down IMG, you're doing satellite camps, which the SEC coaches don't like, and then you end up you know, taking your team on trips across the pond, whether it be to Rome, to Africa. I mean, so it, you're incredible in terms of seeing things that other people don't see. And, and raising, you know, wow, why is he doing this? So I just want to throw that out at you to respond to, if you would. Well, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's the, the part of coaching that, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's probably the way, way I was raised and, and uh, the way I was coached by Bo Schembechler and, and my dad. And it's, so I, I don't take, uh, you know, real credit for it, but, uh, you know, just the piece of when you're a coach, I mean, there, there, there's a real platform there and, um, there's a, I feel like it's, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity from God, you know, to, to witness, uh, for dignity, for justice, for charity, but as the responsibility that you have as, as a coach to try to give the young men that you coach, uh, and then that are given under your charge uh, to help those young men or turn those young men into courageous, virtuous, great leaders. Um, and that's, again, I don't, I don't take credit for that. That's just, um, that's the way, that's the way I got, I got that from Bo Schembechler. I got that from my dad. So everything that you can to do that. And that's uh, um, opportunities that you have. And you, and you have so many, you got them on a daily basis. You got them on a weekly monthly, yearly basis uh, as a coach to, you know, try to instill those, those leadership qualities into the, the men that are, you know, on your team.
you and I have often talked about recruiting and you know the inequities that uh, are going on in it in relationship to how things happen. And uh, you and your father and Ward Manuel put together a document in terms of you know the opportunity for young men to opt out and go into the National Football League and so forth. Uh, question I have uh, along those lines is, as it relates to trying to equal the playing field from a recruiting perspective, uh, do you see that as an opportunity to, to potentially do that, where you don't have some schools that do things we know shouldn't be done? Well, I would just, I would just say it like this. I mean, I, um, you know, and a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of you learn from people. You know, you learn uh, by listening, and um, you know, we talk about you know, a football team, you know, our structure is this. I mean, it's like if you're building a ship, you know, the most important thing is the keel. Uh, and to do it, you know, that job, you have to do that well for that, that ship to sail well. And that's, you know, I look at that as, as, as meritocracy. You know, that the keel is, you know, the, the, the fundamental part of our, uh, of our ship to have it sail true and right is, equitable in, in a meritocracy. What I mean by that is, you know, by your merit, by your talent, by your effort, that's how, how you will be known. There'll be no politics, there'll be no games, there'll be no favoritism. Uh, you know, everybody's going to have that equitable chance. They are going to have the, the uh, you know, by their, by their work ethic and by their ability, you know, they're going to, they're going to, that's how playing time will be, will be earned. You know, the starting positions, the backup positions, you know, the making, the team, and then uh, the the mast of the ship would be fairness. Got to be there's got to be equity. It's got to be it's got to be fair for everybody. And uh, uh, you know it's 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 you got to you got to tell the truth. It's got to be right. It's the things that you do to try to motivate your team. Um, uh, it's also got to be fair. And, uh, you know, those are, those are hard things, hard policies to come up with, but, uh, you know, it, you know, to have that ship sail true and right, uh, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be done. It's gotta be done, um, equitable and it's gotta be done with equity and, uh, in everything you do. And it's got, you can't lie, you can't cheat, you can't steal, uh, you know, it's those, uh, those fundamental principles also that I, that I learned from my dad, those are, those are the most, most important. So, um, that's, that's how, uh, you know, how the team needs to be, be structured and that's how it needs to be run. And, and, and yeah, there's shortcuts out there, Jed. I mean, you can find them. Anybody can find them. Right. And you can find them in football. You can find them in, in other parts of, of, a business or life or politics or a judicial system, uh, whatever. I mean, they're, they're out there to be had. There's ill-gotten gains that can be had by, uh, by anybody. But, you know, as you, as you realize in something Bo Schembechler, you know, always, always, uh, always would say, if you, have to, if you have to cheat to win, then you've lost. Uh, because any ill-gotten gain is, is eventually is going to come to light. And it's gonna, you know, it's gonna destroy the whole whole program. You know, the ship will not sail right. It won't sail. 
sail through. So uh, now those are those are fundamental principles of, of, of meritocracy and fairness. Got to be equitable. There's got to be equity, uh, and you, you can't lie, cheat, or steal. Um, you know, those are those are fundamental principles that that uh, should never change in your in your program, if you want it to be, or you or if you want it to sail sail good and true. When you talk about some of the leaders that have helped you, you have done an incredible job with the African Americans as it relates to helping them, whether it was David Shaw, or you mentioned Willie Taggart, or Pep Hamilton, or currently Josh Gaddis. I mean, there's been some, I don't know if been a concerted effort, but there's something you've done to help develop and help these individuals achieve success. Any, was there a formula you had? Was this an intent or it just happened or? Um, you know, I'd say when I'm, when I'm hiring coaches, um, you know, what I'm looking for is, is the guy that, the person that's hungry to make our team better. And next thing is uh, people skills. Uh, you can boil that down to, you know, to, uh, you know, there are people that are in a good mood. Uh, I think might've been Voltaire, Voltaire who said it. I can't remember exactly, but, uh, you know, there's a there's a secret to being successful in life, and that's being in a good mood. And uh, and the other thing would be energy. Just bring in energy every single every single day. My dad would say it. Uh, attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Emerson would say nothing great has ever been accomplished without enthusiasm. So those those are those are the things that I'm that I'm looking for. Uh, when it comes to to hiring coaches and um, been around some great ones and uh, so that uh, yeah I've been again you know very lucky very lucky in uh, in, in, in hiring coaches and um, so that's that's what I would that's what I would say about that you know, you know as we go through these, these stages in our country right now the social injustices that have really manifested themselves since uh, the execution of, of George Floyd. And what you see coaches' responsibility, players' responsibility in terms of what's happened over the last three weeks uh, in our country. Yeah, the, um, and I, I, Colin Kaepernick, uh, who we talked about earlier, um, a great, uh, great football player, but he's, he's also a great man. And, and, uh, you know, you, you got to listen to people that, um, and really hear, hear what they're saying. And, you know, Colin's been, uh, Colin's been on the right side of this for a long time. And I remember some, you know, just some very early conversations, you know, when, when Colin had, had decided to, you know, take, take a knee during the national anthem and, and, uh, you know, the, the person who's first, I mean, they get, they get so much backlash, you know, and it was, you know, so, uh, so like just for Colin, cause I love you, man. Like, I, I mean, uh, and then, and then to listen to him to explain, you know, what, uh, do you, you know, do you really want to go out on this, on this limb? And, uh, 
you know, like that, because you're going to get, you're getting, you're getting, and you're going to get, uh, you know, so much backlash for this. And, um, and then to listen to him, you know, and I, and it, I became aware, then I became aware at that point, you know, from him, you know, the, uh, the inequities that, that go on in our society. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair. And, um, so, uh, you know, and there is, there is improvement that needs to be made. Um, and we could all argue, you know, where does our country rate? Is it, you know, some people think it's the best in the world, uh, or, you know, others would, would, could argue that, but, you know, the, the bottom line is it can be better. And uh, just like on a football team, you'd want to make something better uh, in every area that you could. Um, you know, I began looking at it that way, you know, thanks, thanks to Colin. Yeah, there's, there's definitely areas we can improve in our political system. There's, there's uh, improvements to be made in our judiciary system, uh, social justice, uh, in education, and, and in policing. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody, uh, everybody sees that now. And, uh, but Colin really was the first person that, uh, you know, much like, you know, I, I consider him now, I mean, uh, I mean, much like uh, a Muhammad Ali, uh, Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, somebody that's a, you know, that, uh, that, that is, that is first, that is leading. And uh, I just love him. I'm just, just so proud of him and, and everything that, uh, that he does stand for. And I mean, I even think about back to our earliest conversations I had with Colin, you know, five, five years ago. And I, I, I was a lot like a lot of people and they said, you know, Colin, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, that's, it, this is the flag. I mean, uh, this is, this is, uh, you know, is this really what you, what you want to be doing? And, and I came to learn that uh, that flag made to a lot of people. I mean, that's old glory. That's, that's the, that's the flag. People that, you know, have fought and died for that uh, throughout our history. To, you know, to, to have our freedom and to have the United States of America, you know, what it is today. But uh, also, you know, to, that also, you know, 100 years into our society, you know, we still had, or into our uh, United States of America, we still had slavery. Um, you know, to the, to the American Indians, uh, Native Americans, I mean, what is that? Doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not all glory to everybody. Is, is the point. And I, and I really learned that uh, from Colin and uh, you know, his, were, his were peaceful protests. Uh, and he's got the right to do that. And, and I don't know if it was Voltaire again, you know, who said that, you know, I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And, and, uh, and that's whether, and I, I would say whether I agree with what somebody else is, say, is saying, or whether I disagree, or whether I agree somewhat, uh, some of what they say, and 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 not some, and maybe disagree with some other part, um, and my own right to to uh, you know express myself, and for all to express their themselves. That uh, whether that's in a in a society, whether that's in a family, or whether that's in a football team. I will I will I will defend to the death somebody's right to say that and uh, and to express themselves. 
and and there's no question we can you know we 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 need uh we need to get better uh we need to be better uh police policing police brutality it's gotta it's gotta it's gotta get better you know it's got it's got to it's got to improve so um I know, I know that's a, a lot being said there, but uh, yeah, I'm really, I love, I'm, I will say this, I, I'm, I love and I'm very proud of, uh, of Colin Kaepernick and what he has stood for and the sacrifices, you know, personal uh, to him, but, uh, but he's right. He's on the, he's on the, 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 a lot of what he says is, is right. And, uh, and I think a lot of, you know, pretty unanimous now around the country that, uh, that those improvements need to be made. As we close this um, podcast out, I can't do it without talking a little bit about the season coming up, uh, about, you know, I mean, my days at Michigan and Ohio State and how critical and important that is and how that kind of eats and sleeps with you every single day. And you talk about your competitiveness, that has, I, that has got to be something that is intensely driven uh, on a daily basis. Oh, I mean, Jed, it's, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, I was watching my son's baseball practice the other day and they started on Sunday. They had a practice on Tuesday, eight, eight U baseball team. And just to see him out there, just to see him out, uh, the kids out there, just to watch a practice going on. Um, and the coaches did a great job. They had them socially distanced and, uh, you know, they kept them engaged in the practice and moving around. They were pitching, they were fielding, they were, they were hitting, they were, sometimes they were on separate, separate fields. But, uh, you know, it was cool just watching a practice going on and, and can't wait till, till uh, you know, I'm back out there coaching coaching our team and we're at a practice so uh that uh i'm really looking forward to that and um getting the guys trained right now uh as safely as possible is is what we're trying to do and uh i'm very hopeful that you know there'll be a season this year uh let the kids play and uh and do it as safely as possible and uh yeah that's i'm excited about it as you can tell no, there's no doubt. I, listen, I had a chance to work with seven Hall of Fame coaches. Michigan, Michigan is fortunate to have you with your passion, your integrity, your competitiveness. You're a beacon in a dark moment in our society. And uh, I say go blue, Jim. Go blue, Jim. And I really appreciate you spending the, the time talking with me today. Thank you. Uh, you got it, Jen. I, I don't. I don't want to make. I really don't want to you know, come off here sounding like I, I know it all. I, I really. Uh, I don't want to pretend uh, that in any way. There, you know, even as it as it relates to. Uh, you know, just the just the matter of. Um, you know, every time I've been pulled over, while driving, uh, I've been treated with respect, and uh, so I, I don't. I don't pretend to know what that feeling is, but. Um, I can't put myself in somebody else's shoes, and um, and the thing that that uh, was talked about every day. I remember when I was a kid by my parents and by by teachers, 
and and uh, and priests and and all. I mean, was was treat others as you would want to be treated yourself, and and I hope that uh, you know that that's that's something that that we just continue to say more now every day. I mean, treat others as you would want to be treated, and I think that's pretty close to biblical, um, but uh, you know, I think it's 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 the most important thing. And, and I, we're going to strive to do that as a team uh, at the University of Michigan to be a team that is an example of that, treating others as we would want to be treated. And, and, uh, and right now there's a, there's a, you know, I think we all see it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of improvement that, uh, that we can make. And, and like President Obama, you know, said in a speech the other day, I mean, he, he sees great opportunity for this. And I, and, and I agree that, uh, we can come together. We're all in this. We're all in this together, uh, just like you would do on a team. Come together as a team. Come together as a as a people. Come together as a country. Uh, you know that we can all all live together in peace and happiness, and we can all be in a good mood every day. Well said. Thanks again. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jed. My pleasure.